Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. So I want us to to kind of kick this off with a, with a really spiritual question. That's a, that's a good way to start a sermon, right? With a really spiritual question. How many people in here like to read? That sounds like a really spiritual question, right? How many people like to read? I hope everybody's going to say they like to read uh, at least the Bible. Like we're all Bible-believing, Bible-reading people, right? Yes, all right. Yeah, a few more hands went up. Like, oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, now, how many people like to actually just read in general outside of the Bible? And of those people... Um, I'm, I love to read, man. Of those people, have you ever read um, the, the book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Anybody read that book? I mean, that is a, it's a crazy book. And I think most of us have probably at least heard the story before um, and kind of know a little bit about it. For those of us that don't, um, just kind of the premise of the book, it's about this guy. He, um, he's a really good guy, and his name is Dr. Jekyll. But the thing with Dr. Jekyll is he's got this other side to him, this like alter ego inside of him named Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde is just straight up evil, like the, the epitome of evil. He is a murderer. He is just, I mean, he's just cruel. Everything that you can think of, he is the epitome of evil. And he's inside of Dr. Jekyll, and Dr. Jekyll can't control him. Like Mr. Hyde just kind of does what he wants when he wants, and he can't control him. So as the story goes on, what Dr. Jekyll does in order, in an attempt to try to control this evil inside of him, and try, in, in order to try to control Mr. Hyde, he comes up with this potion, this the serum, um, to try to control him. But what he finds is the more that he tries to control the evil that's inside of him, the more out of control it becomes. The more out of control Mr. Hyde becomes in his life. So much so that it actually ends up resulting in his death. The evil inside of him, Mr. Hyde, actually kills both of them. Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll because they're both the same. The evil inside of him, as he tried to control it, it consumed him and it actually killed him. And, and as crazy as that story is, uh, it's easy to kind of walk away from that and just think, man, that's a crazy story, and just kind of go on with our lives like, wow, that's, uh, that's interesting, but it has nothing to do with me, and just kind of go on with our lives. But the thing is, what we should probably really do, and I think what this story asks us to do, is to take a really good look inside of ourselves, like honestly look in the mirror for yourself and ask yourself, man, is there a, a Mr. Hyde inside of me? And really, I think the better question is, is there a Mr. Hyde inside of all of us? Because when we're honest with ourselves, there really is something deeper hiding kind of beneath the surface of us all, isn't there? I mean, there, there really is. I mean, when we're really honest with ourselves about this, there's kind of this Mr. Hyde that's hiding in the shadows, lurking in the shadows of our lives, that's really trying not to be seen, not only by the world around us, but really even by ourselves, so they can keep on doing these evil things without being forced to stop. And the world tries to tell us, the world tries to lie to us and say, hey, you know, the only people that have the real internal issues, like those people, I think we've all heard of that before, those people are the people that are in like prisons or rehab clinics, things like that. They're the people that have the real issues, the real internal struggles. But the truth is, at the end of the day, man, we all struggle. We all struggle, and we need Jesus. That's our big idea today. We all struggle, and we need Jesus. And as we dive into this topic of struggle today, the deeper that we dive, 
the more that we find that, man, our struggles really aren't that different. Surface level, they may seem very different, kind of rear their heads in different ways, look a little different. But when we dive in deep to the root of it all, it really isn't that different at all. And on top of that, every single one of us absolutely needs saving from this internal struggle that we all have, from the mystery high that is inside of every single one of us. Let's pray. God, I just, uh, I, I pray that you help us, uh, that you illuminate this text today that we're going to be diving into, that you um, just help us to see ourselves as we are before you, God, um, that, that we do struggle with this um, stuff in our own lives, that we have our own internal struggle. I pray that you help us to see that, God, because until we see that, we can't see your incredible grace and what you've done for us, Jesus, on the cross and our need for you. So I pray that you magnify this in our lives, in our minds, and in our hearts. Bring us to a place where we just see how much you've done for us, how much we need you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross for us. I pray that we never forget that, that everything that we do is out of a love for you and because of what you've done your gospel message i pray holy spirit that you just completely take over this sermon open our hearts open our minds great change great shackles on for all these things in jesus amen so before we dive any deeper in this topic of, of struggle uh, first i want us to kind of look at a definition of this i want us to kind of see what this is biases aside what exactly is a struggle so webster our good friend webster uh, defines a struggle like this, to make strenuous or violent efforts in the face of difficulties or opposition. To make strenuous or violent efforts in the face of difficulties or opposition. But, but really, to get a, a really good picture of this, like what struggle actually looks for, what better way than just to ask somebody that deals with a lot of struggle in their own life, right? Like somebody that has dealt with this and battled this day in and day out. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take a look, like a snapshot of somebody's testimony, one man's testimony about his own internal struggle he said i don't really understand myself for i want to do what is right but i don't do it instead i do what i hate i want to do what is right but i can't i want to do what is good but i don't i don't want to do what is wrong but i do it anyway i have discovered this principle in my life that when i want to do what is right i inevitably do what is wrong. So I want us to kind of dissect what this guy was saying here, his kind of little mini testimony and what he was saying, because there's a lot of stuff here. And starting off with just the very first few words, he says, I don't understand myself. And that tells me, man, this dude is baffled by something that's going on in his life. I mean, it's just leaving him speechless. Like, this is crazy. This internal struggle is so bad. It's so intense that it's just leaving him speechless. And then as we keep on diving into this testimony, we see that it's, it's things that he hates, like he hates doing them. If you were to go up to him and say, hey, man, should I do this? He would be the first one to say, no, don't do that. Whatever it is that he's struggling with, he would say, don't do that. That is horrible. I hate that. But at the same time, he finds himself doing these things, and he can't stop. He keeps on doing them, and he's being honest and open about this. And then he kind of stakes it a step further. He kind of zooms in a little bit more, doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but we have this word to kind of give us a little bit more of a description, and it's this word wrong. We see that what he hates doing and what he can't stop doing is wrong. So in other words, this dude straight up has evil living 
inside of him. And does that sound like anybody else that we've just talked about? Does that sound like Mr. Hyde living inside of this guy? This dude straight up has evil living inside of him that he cannot control at all. And really, when we take a look at this testimony, it doesn't look like some small little struggle, does it? It looks like something that's pretty, it's pretty intense. I mean, all these things that he's doing, he hates doing them. And no matter what he does, he can't stop doing them. All these things he tries to do, no matter how hard he tries, he can't stop. He keeps on doing them. This is an intense battle, an intense struggle. It sounds like this guy has an addiction, not just some little tiny struggle, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. But, but again, biases aside, let's just check out the definition of an addiction just to see what this actually is, rather than just assuming this. An addiction is defined as a condition in which a person engages in use of a substance or in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to, check this out, repeatedly pursue the behavior despite detrimental consequences. Repeatedly pursue the behavior despite detrimental consequences. Man, does that not sound exactly like this dude's testimony? Like, to a T. I mean, I'm no psychologist, man, but I don't think we need a fancy degree to use common sense here and say, dude, this dude is a straight-up addict, man, and he needs some serious help. Like, I mean, it's obvious that he needs some help. He's even, like, in his testimony, you can see he's almost screaming, I need help. I can't stop this. Like, if you had a friend in your life, like, picture your best friend or somebody that you love coming up to you and saying, dude, I'm doing some really bad things, man. I'm doing some really bad things, and I can't tell you exactly what they are, but just know that they're really bad, and I can't stop them no matter what I do. I've tried all these different things. I keep on trying really hard no matter how hard I try. I just keep on doing them. If that was your friend, somebody that you love, coming up to you and saying, saying all these things, what would you say to them? Would you just tap them on the shoulder and be like, I'm going to pray for you. You take it easy, okay? Just walk away? No. I hope you would. You better not. No, you'd be like, dude, you need to get some help, man. Like, here, let me help you get some help. I'm going to call, like, a rehab clinic or something for you. Like, I'm going to, you know, help you get some help. This dude is straight up taking his mask off. He's just filleting himself open, bearing off, just saying, look, this isn't just the superficial side of me. This is what's going on inside of me, this internal struggle, and he's holding nothing back. He needs help, and he knows it. Being straight up about this. But what's really cool about this testimony that I just read to you is we actually know who this is. Like, we don't have to try to guess or assume who was this guy. This, this dude had some major issues. We know exactly who he was. We know exactly who he was. And, and not only that, but this guy was actually used as one of the biggest sources of life transformation for more people, more than most anyone else that ever walked the face of the, of the earth. And most of us should know who this guy is. We should know who this is. He lived a couple thousand years ago. He actually wrote tons of the New Testament. His name is Paul. This is Paul's testimony. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Like, let's dive into it. Let's check this out for ourselves. You can see it up on the screen. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 24. These are Paul's words. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that, I am, that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I know that I am not the, not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. 
I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one that is doing it, but it is sin living in me that does it, the evil inside that's doing this. I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me, still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated, such a strong word, dominated by sin and death? And just, just so you know, if you're wondering, okay, how do we know this was definitely Paul? Um, you know, I don't, mention, I don't see his name there. For one, Paul wrote the book of Romans. And when we read this, it's obvious he's talking about himself here. He's not talking about somebody else. And not only that, but he's not talking about his past. This is current situation stuff. As he's writing this, he's pouring out what's inside. This is a transparent picture of his life right then in that moment. So in other words, as he's writing the book of Romans, as he's ministering to all these people, as he's planting these churches, spreading the gospel, this is the internal battle, the internal struggle that is going on in his life at that time all throughout his life. And here's the thing. Paul didn't struggle with drugs or alcohol. You see anything about drugs or alcohol in there? And we're so quick with addiction. We, we hear this word addiction. We're so quick to label that. As soon as we hear that word like, oh, somebody has an addiction, it's like, oh, is it drugs or alcohol? And look, we can't be so narrow-minded. There are so many things out there that we could be addicted to. You could be addicted to Netflix, for crying out loud. Like, there are so many different things that we struggle with. Paul's addiction is not to um, drugs or alcohol. He actually tells us what it is. He doesn't hold us back. He tells us what it is in this text. The thing that he hates doing, that he can't stop, no matter what he does, he can't stop doing these things on his own. It's called sin. He is addicted to sin. And then in verse 24, he kind of gives this this little picture, almost like a word picture, uh, to describe the intensity of this battle with sin, this addiction to sin that he has. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I mean, that word dominated just kind of just jumps off at the page, dominate. I mean, I kind of have this picture of somebody, almost like a bully, that's trapped somebody in the corner, and there's nothing that you can do to escape it on your own, just dominating over you, completely consumed and overwhelmed by sin and death. In another version, I really like this version, it says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What a wretched man. When we think of that word wretched, think of the song Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, what is it? Wretch like me. John Newton wrote this song thinking about his past. If you have never heard this, his story, I, I encourage you to go read it. It's an incredible story. And also still seeing that internal struggle in his own life and thinking about this text and most likely this very verse as he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, that has been so powerful and profound in so many people's lives since the test of time. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And, and this last part here, when it says body of death, I want to kind of hone in on for that, on that for just a moment. Um, so tradition has it that, you see, Paul uh, was born in the city of Tarsus. And, and tradition has it that there was this tribe near Tarsus, near the place where Paul was born. 
And one of the things that this tribe was actually known for is what they would do to murderers. Um, and what you would think is, when you think about a murderer, you think about a sentence that a murderer would get, you would think, okay, the death penalty, or this person's going to you know, get a life in prison without parole, hard labor for all their life, something like that, right? Well, what this tribe, you know, according to tradition, what this tribe would do, they would actually shackle or chain your victim. If you were a murderer, they would shackle or chain your victim to you. So let's use common sense here for a second. If you are a murderer, what does that make your victim? Dead. A dead body. A corpse. A rotting corpse will be chained, shackled to you. Right? And just imagine that for a second. Constantly having this, this, mem- this remembrance of what you've done. The evil inside of you. Your evil actions. Murdering this person. No matter where you go, you can't get away from it. The stench seeing the body, the stench, smelling it, seeing the decay of what you've done. Even when you go to sleep at night, you can never get away from this. And what would happen is that dead, rotting corpse would actually end up being um, the death of the person that it was shackled to. That dead, rotting corpse would actually end up being the death of the murderer themselves, tortured to death and constantly just bombarded and overwhelmed by this dead body they're shackled to. And this is perhaps the picture that Paul has in mind as he's saying these words. When he's saying, who will rescue me from this body of death? And guys, here's the question. If Paul struggled this badly, if his struggle was this intense um, with sin, then what does that mean for you and for me? Like, ask yourself that honestly. What does that mean for you and for me? Like, Like, Paul was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, evangelist that ever lived. I mean, he did more for the spread of the gospel than most anyone alive. Like Billy Graham, we know who Billy Graham is. A lot of people have been impacted by Billy Graham in this room, the things that he's done. Okay, Billy Graham's got nothing on this guy. This was probably, Paul was probably one of Billy Graham's um, biggest spiritual heroes in the Bible, in fact, because he was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Billy Graham was an evangelist. If you think about Billy Graham, you think about uh, Mother Teresa, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Jr., all these guys, the good that they have done in the world, all of them together, Paul has done more than them. All of them together. I mean, that's this guy. And if you still think for some reason that you've done more good than Paul, that you are a better person than Paul for, for some crazy reason, let's check out what God has to say about this. Let's get God's opinion to see if we are above this sin addiction in our own lives. And it's actually in the same book, Romans, just a, a different chapter. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man, this verse leaves no room for error at all. Every single one of us, no one is past this sin addiction that we have. Your sin may be a little different than mine. It may rear its head a little differently. You know, on the surface layer, maybe it may kind of look a little different. But deep down, as we follow those roots down, ultimately it's the same thing. We have the same addiction, and it's called sin. Every single one of us. In fact, the guy that wrote the book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, is actually a Christian. And when he was asked, where did you come up with this idea? Because that's like a crazy plot, a crazy concept, right? So I can imagine a lot of people wanting to know, dude, where did you come up with this idea? You know what his words were? You know what he said? He said, I found it in my own nature. He found it by taking a good long look in the mirror and honest, deep self-examination. And what he saw, what he found was Mr. Hyde staring back at him. 
He saw it within himself. This is one of the most arrogant and prideful things that we could ever do is to say or to think that we have no sin in our life, that we do not struggle with sin at all. In fact, that's one of the most unchristlike things that we could ever say or ever do, is to say or think that we do not have sin in our life. We all struggle with this, no matter how close we are to Christ. And this is so, it's such a dangerous thing, it's such a big red flag. A lot of times Christians and even leaders or pastors, they'll, they'll act as though, say things like they don't struggle with sin. And it's like, dude, do you realize that the closer that we get to Christ, that's the closer you get to God. That's the closer you get to perfection, to holiness. We saw a picture of this in Isaiah um, chapter 6 last week. When Isaiah got closer to God, what did he do? He was overwhelmed by the magnitude of who God was, and he was also overwhelmed by the filthiness and his sin in his own life. The closer that we get to God, the more our sin is magnified in our life. And not only that, the more that God's scandalous grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness is magnified in our life every single moment of every single day. But here's the thing. Rather than remembering the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness in our life so often, what do we do? So often we look at, we point out the imperfections and the sins in other people while standing in a pile of our own filth. We say things like, look at that person. You know, maybe I'm not, I'm not perfect, but look at that person. At least I'm not as bad as them. Look at that. I can't believe they did that. We do this all the time. I do it. We all do it with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions. Let's check out what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eyes but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there is a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam out of wood out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eyes. Guys, we all struggle, and we all know this. We know this. Deep down inside, when we honestly examine our lives, we know that there is an internal battle, things that we don't want to do, that we find this desire, this temptation to do these things. And yet so often we point the finger in judgment to other people, and what we're doing is we're trying to put ourselves on a platform, trying to boost up our own, our own pride, trying to make ourselves look better, feel better in the moment. But what we're doing when we do that is we're essentially using people as a stepping stone to boost up our own ego. And kind of a, a visual picture of this would be, rather than saying something or, or think, saying something judgmental or thinking something judgmental, it would be going up to that person and just slamming them on the ground um, just brutally and then stepping on top of them and saying, I'm better than that. I'm better than you. That's essentially what we're doing in those moments when we think judgmental thoughts, when we say judgmental words. That's why Jesus cannot stand this. On the surface level, we skim over these different struggles as if, well, this isn't as bad as this, this isn't as bad as that. But deep down, the core of it all is straight up evil. Straight up evil. That's why even our thoughts, Jesus commands us not to judge. This is selfishness, our sin, our Mr. Hyde rearing his ugly head inside of our lives. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do to control this on our own. Nothing. Paul knows that he needs serious help. It can't be superficial. It can't be just surface level. In other words, it's not going to be like Dr. Phil or some good, you know, feel good help books or, you know, just some, you know, just feel good preaching or something that's going to help this guy or save this guy. 
The only thing is that's going to help this guy, that's going to help Paul with his deep, intense addiction that he has is real, raw, consistent life transformation. And the question then becomes, where does this life transformation come from? Like, who is it that can actually save us from this sin addiction that is eating away at our life like cancer? And then Paul actually gives us the answer to this. In the same chapter, Romans chapter 7, verse 25, he says, Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Because the answer is Jesus. Real life transformation only comes from God. It only comes from Jesus Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are actually able to live in light of the victory and the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us, but it's only possible because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, one day we won't have these sins, these struggles, and these temptations in these lives. We'll be in paradise with him for all of eternity. But here's the thing. Right now, we still live in a sinful, fallen world, in these sinful, fallen bodies. So what should we do? I mean, we, we struggle with sin every day. We're going to struggle with sin every day until Jesus Christ comes back or until we die and go to heaven, right? So what should we do? Should we just keep on sinning? Just don't worry about it, you know, just, just sin and, hey, I'm going to ask forgiveness later, right? I'll just, I can repent. I'm covered by grace, so I'm just going to repent. At the end of the day, I'm not going to worry about that. Is that what we should do? Oh, man, no. That's called cheap grace. Cheap grace tells us don't worry about it. Do whatever you want. You know, just, just uh, you, you know, use an excuse at the end of the day. Just repent, ask for forgiveness. You're covered by grace anyway. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ did not superficially die for your sins, and he does not call us to superficially follow him. We are called to pick up our cross, to die of our sins every single moment of every single day. Jesus died for our sins so that we would have the opportunity to die to our sins. We are not saved by cheap grace. We are not called to leave, live cheap, superficial lives for Jesus Christ. We are called to live in an abandonment to Jesus but here's the thing, we also have to be careful with this and not go to the other side of the spectrum, kind of this Pharisaic, legalistic mindset, right? Because what we find, it, this Pharisaic, legalistic mindset, it's almost like this weight and measure system of holy living and, and good deeds, trying to do enough good deeds to earn God's favor, to earn my way into heaven. And maybe I can kind of counteract the bad in, in my life. Here, here's one thing, newsflash, you can't do that. That's impossible. You're going to fail miserably. But here's the other thing. When you actually trace that down, the depths of what that is, the mindset of what that is, you know what we're trying to do with legalism? Legalism is man's attempt to try to control God and to control their own outcome, their own future, their own destination. It's like taking God and basically trying to make him into our own little cosmic vending machine. So as long as I push the right buttons, as long as I do the right things, God's going to do exactly what I want, right? That's what legalism tells us. I'm going to tell you something. Look, God is not our cosmic vending machine. He's not, we can't make and mold this little box to put God in or anything like that, right? Like, I mean, God, he's the God of the universe. We cannot control him, and we cannot earn God's grace. It's only because of Jesus Christ, and it's a free gift. But what we have to understand is God wants us to constantly move in his direction. So it's this question of how do we do this? How do we honestly progress with this sin that's in our life? How do we move in the direction of God? Here's the thing. So there's this, there's this incredible illustration that Matt Chandler does. I'm going to kind of borrow it for just a moment here. 
And it's this picture of a loving father that's teaching his little kid how to walk for the first time. And for those of us that are parents in here, um, you, don't, you can kind of picture this in, in your mind. You remember what it was like to teach your kids how to walk. Right, this loving father that has his little boy or this little girl that, that love, he loves so much. And this, this little kid like, starts to stand up on their own. And, and at first they're kind of like wobbling around a little bit shaky. They, they kind of hold on to your fingers a little bit, kind of shaking. And then they kind of fall down. And, and then they get back up. They're able to kind of take a step, which at first is not even really a step. It's kind of like this weird just like motion type of thing. Uh, but they, it's so cute. They, they stand up. They try to take this little step and all the time, the father is there helping this little kid, his little boy, his little girl that he loves so much. But what happens when that little kid falls? They just take like a step or so, and that little kid falls. What does that loving father do? Does that loving father say, how in the world could you fall? Are you kidding me? You're never going to get this right. How could you fall again? You've fallen three times today. Come on. You can do this. This is ridiculous. You better get back up, boy. Come on. Let's go. Oh. That's not what a loving father does. A loving father says, look what you did. You're doing so good. You took a step. Look at that. Like you actually stood there for like a second longer. I'm so proud of you. Like keep on coming. You're doing so good. You fell down here. I'm going to help you. Let me help you get back up. You're doing so good. Let's do this together. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. I love you. A loving father rejoices with every single that his baby boy or his baby girl takes every single step. And he is there helping and guiding him or her the entire way. Guys, that is a picture of our loving God. Loves us so much. He is there with us. He calls us, commands us to continue moving in his direction, but he never leaves us. He is always constantly there helping us, encouraging us, rejoicing with every tiny movement. So the world around us, you know, that little kid might be like snotting and looking all weird and just like making these weird faces like, oh my goodness, what is that? But to the loving father, he's like, that's my boy. That's my girl. I'm so This is a picture of God and how we progress, how we move in his direction. And at the end of the day, guys, all of us, we struggle with this sin addiction, but we have this choice. We have this choice every single moment of every single day. We can choose to give into the sin addiction, to kind of give into it, like this is too hard, I'm just going to give into it. Or we can choose to trust our loving Father. We have this choice. It's, it's essentially this situation where we can say, God, I choose you. Jesus, I choose you. I'm not nullifying the sin in my life. I'm not saying this isn't hard. I'm not saying this isn't a struggle. This isn't a battle. This is hard. There's a part of me that wants to give into this. This is really hard. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but Jesus, I want you more. Jesus, I love you. I want to move in your direction. I choose you, Jesus. It is a constant choice that every single one of us have to make every day. But here's the thing. If we're honestly going to choose Jesus, honestly choose to move in his direction, that means that we also have to choose. It is a choice to fight sin. Have to choose. And here's the thing. It kind of generates the question, how do we do this? Like, that's really cool, man. You know, you're up there talking about sin. We all struggle with it. I already knew that. You know, how do we do this? So let's kind of dive into this. We're going we're gonna to check out five practical ways that we fight sin. And again, this is so important because if we're honestly going to choose Jesus over the sin. We have to fight the sin. So let's check this out. Five practical ways 
to fight sin. The first one is to get in the Word and in prayer on a consistent basis. Get in the Word and prayer on a consistent basis. And the key words there are a consistent basis. Guys, knowing God's truths, knowing His promises, and just declaring His promises over your life, reminding yourself of these things, meditating on these things. David meditated on them day and night. And so when something happens, you're struggling, whether it's something I struggle with, it is anxiety. And so I'll just remind myself of these verses, like God um, it, you know, is always there for me, protecting me, and just reminding me of these different verses that I can call out to doing that. It, what did Jesus do when he was tempted? What did he do? He recited scripture. He recited scripture. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, recited scripture when he was tempted. He models what we are called to do. The Bible teaches us about God. Prayer connects us to God. What is prayer? It's just simply talking to our loving father, our loving daddy. I call my, uh, my daughter, we call God um, our, our big daddy. Just talking to your big daddy that loves you so much. The more that you get into the word, the more that you know who God is, the more you know his promises for your life, and the Holy Spirit convicts you of things and draws you in and transforms your life. The more that you pray, the more that you're connected to God in this intimacy, the closer that you are, the more you feel him in those moments. Incredible way to fight the sin in your life. The second thing is to surround yourself with godly people. And remembering too, guys, we become like the people that we hang out with the most. And that's not some Christian um, jargon stuff. This is like, I mean, even in the secular world, this is talked about all the time. You become a lot like the people that you hang out with the most. So here's the thing. When we hang out with godly people that look like Jesus, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start looking more like Jesus. That's why we, we just, you know, we talk about the importance of things like life group and coming to church together. That's why it is so, for one, it is a commandment in being the body of Christ, sacrificially loving each other. It's a commandment from Jesus. But it's such a scary thing to think about people trying to do this on their own. We are called to do this together, to be the body of Christ together. The more that we hang out like people that look like Jesus, the more that we will become like Jesus. Godly people, ultimately, they encourage us to look towards Jesus and point us toward him, too. The third thing is accountability. And the verse that I'm often reminded of, it kind of first pops in my head when I think about accountability is James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that one another part. And this is kind of an extension of um, surrounding ourselves with godly people, but it's kind of a deeper level. It's having people around you that you can, on, you can be transparent with. You can say, basically like Paul was saying, look, these are the things that I'm struggling with. Mask off. These are the things that I'm struggling with. You know, I'm struggling with whatever it may be, pornography. I'm struggling with anger. You know, I'm struggling with, I love my spouse, but I want to strangle them right now. Whatever it may be in your life. You laughed, I heard that. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, we need this. We need this so much to have an accountability in your life. And uh, here's the thing. A lot of people will, will um, compare accountability partners. that They'll use the word spiritual hedges or spiritual armor. So the more spiritual armor that you have up, the less that the enemy can, try, can come and actually attack you. It's, it's harder for the enemy to get to you and attack you. And it's also harder for you to, to really get away with the sin in your life, too, when you have these accountability partners that are going to honestly, lovingly call you out. How are you doing? You know, I'm praying for you. Having these people in our lives praying for us, and also we're doing the same thing for them. The next thing, the fourth thing, 
it is discipleship or mentorship, whichever word you want to use, discipleship, mentorship. And, and this is so important. It's kind of, you know, that deeper level from accountability. This is somebody that's kind of it, it, almost like on that next level. They're very just mature, uh, spiritually mature, spiritually wise people that love the Lord. And somebody that you can go to for kind of advice for godly wisdom. There's not like an age type of thing. This isn't a, you know, age range. Once you get to a certain age, you are spiritually wise person. This is just, you know, if they are spiritually wise and, and praying about this, and God will draw you to those people. I've got four guys in my life um, that, I, that I constantly just talk to um, that help me so much and give me godly wisdom and guidance. And the last thing is frequent personal inventories. And, and this is so important. This helps us so much. This is just an in-depth, honest look at your life. Looking in the mirror, honestly, and asking, you know, what's going on inside? Like, let me look inside for a little bit. God, what do you want to bring to the surface in my life? If we don't, we're so busy. We are constantly, just all the time, busy. We read our Bibles, we pray, we keep on going on. It's like we barely give time to even talk to us. You know God wants to talk back to us, right? So doing these little inventories all the time and asking God, what do you want to do in my life? What, what do you want to say to me? But this is a time, the deep spiritual inventory, where you just give God time to talk to you. Say, God, what do you want to bring to the surface in my life? How do you want to encourage me? What, what, what can I work on in my life? How am I looking like you? How am I not looking like you? And, and there's no specific time frame with this, but this isn't a two or three minute thing. You know, people take hours over several period of time a lot of times to do this. And as far as frequency, man, I really strongly recommend that people do this once every three to six months, taking a good, honest look at their life. The last thing I want to do, I want to go over some practical questions that you can ask yourself when you do a personal inventory. And you don't have to write these down, okay? We're actually going to have, um, somebody's going to hand these out to you, um, whichever way that you go out. There should be somebody by the door handing these out to you. And I encourage you to take these and kind of just look over them, review them, and, and pray through them. But I'm just going to kind of call these out here. The first one is, what sin do I notice in my life? Second one, how have I been dealing with that sin or giving into it? Third, how do I need to forgive or who do I need to forgive, rather? Fourth, who do I need to make amends with? Fifth, what areas in my life do not reflect Christ? Sixth, how can I begin the process of reflecting Christ in those areas? The next one is, am I keeping God's commandments, including the command to make disciples? Eighth is, if so, then how am I practically keeping these commands in my life? And the last one is, how am I not keeping these commands, and how can I start keeping them now? Guys, it's only when we choose to fight sin and we choose to move in Jesus' direction that we can honestly live in light of the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us. And when we do that, only when we do that, can we be a people that honestly live our lives in victory every single day, just like Paul. Only then, by fighting sin and by choosing. As the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you to do kind of a little bit of a, a self-reflection right now in these moments. And ask yourself honestly, is there something in my life that God has been drawing to the surface that I've just been kind of stuffing down, some sin that I've been struggling with. And we just talked about, we all struggle with this. Every single one of us, if people say that they don't, they're just lying. You're not by yourselves. 
But is there something in my life that I've been holding on to? Is there an area in my life where I don't look like Jesus and he's been showing me this, but I've been ignoring it? And I want to encourage you, don't wait to give those things over. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. You can pray right there where you're at. Seek accountability, these things, these practical steps to fight sin. If you haven't been doing that in your life, if you notice, man, I don't have an accountability partner. I really don't have anybody to talk with. I don't have any kind of a spiritual mentor. You're just doing this by yourself. And I'm going to tell you something. If you have been doing it by yourself, I'm going to be honest because I love you. You are extremely weak. You are extremely weak. You do not have people around you. We all are. We need it. I need it all the time. If you're in here today and you've never responded to the gospel, Jesus, knowing that, man, we all struggle with sin. That is why we need Jesus. Jesus is the one that bridged the gap between us and God, the holy, perfect God through the cross. Never responded to the gospel through Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. You can respond right here, right here. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. The altar's open. We're going to stand. Go ahead and stand. We'll worship together. And as we worship, you respond. Hey guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. And it's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key, it's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self 
and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.